Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Vance Travis. Vance, unlike a lot of people we talked to on My Morning Cup, at a young age knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life, be an architect. Despite some roadblocks thrown up along the way, Vance succeeded in reaching his goal and then some. Vance, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we talk about your focus to become an architect and your path to a successful career, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Uh, as you can see, uh, I've made a Bloody Mary this morning and uh, with a few olives, celery stalk, and just a little bit of vodka. It's early. And uh, <laughs> Mr. T's. Yeah. No, not really. I, <laughs> I appreciate you uh, having me today. And in my morning cup, I had to bring it to remember it because my wife buys coffee up on Signal Mountain at the Mayfair and it's a Mayfair coffee. It's usually very yeah. good, but she didn't have it this morning. So I had oh, a that's good coffee. non-decaf. Seattle's best. Are you a decaf guy? Not in the morning, but really only have one cup of coffee a day. Oh, do you? Yeah. And I think I probably made you the worst cup of coffee you've had in months, if not years. I know, but your cup makes it worthwhile. The cup makes it worthwhile. And the brand of coffee is pretty good, too, isn't it? It's nice Costa yeah. brand of coffee. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, how are you doing, Vance? It's good to see you. Yeah, uh, wonderful. We're back from Sarasota for a few months and doing a little work and uh, enjoying life. Well, speaking of work, you've had a very interesting career and your hand in a lot of the architecture in this town. And as I said in the introduction, your story is a little bit different than a lot of folks we talk to. A lot of folks we talk to get out of school and say, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I did this job, and then this came my way. But you knew at a young age you wanted to be an architect. Talk a little bit about that. I was fortunate in that regard. Um, I ended up going to five different schools, K through 12, over the years. And Did your dad have a job that you guys moved around? Yeah. Uh, he was with Brock Candy Company. Oh, all right. Another Chattanooga. Yeah, B-R-O-C-K. And he was a purchasing agent there, and he got tired of his desk job. And so he told my mother, you know, I want to go out and spend the day outside. So he became a salesman. First thing the Brocks did is they said, Willard, you're going to Atlanta. We want you to start that region up down there. So we moved down there in um, Sandy Springs area. Mm -hmm. And that's where I took a course in junior high school called Industrial Arts. We started looking at different forms and cubes, and we had to think three-dimensionally, and we had to look at what the front looked like and then anticipate what the back and the sides looked like. And I just got enthralled with the ability to think three-dimensionally versus two-dimensionally, and then we had to draw it out. And that's where I got my enthusiasm for architecture. I went home, told mom and dad, I want to be an architect. My mother wanted me to be a dentist, and I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be an architect. How old were you? Uh, junior high school, so I guess I was 15, 16. Do you think that would have happened if you'd stayed in Chattanooga? Because I don't know if they offered industrial arts in the Chattanooga public schools at that time. Maybe at Kirkman, not the other schools. And the other thing that influenced me was when we lived in Atlanta, Atlanta was just beginning to boom and all these buildings going up. I love to tell the story of, 
I used to ride my bicycle on 285, and everybody said, what? <laughs> how in the world would you do that? And I said, well, it was under construction. That's how long ago it was. You could probably ride it on there today and still pass the cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Good point. So young age, you want to be an architect. Where'd you go to school for architecture? Well, I looked at Auburn and Clemson and several others, but Dad reminded me. He says, you know, that's out-of-state tuition. <laughs> he said, you need to look a little closer. I said, at the time, they had just started the College of Architecture at UT Knoxville. Hard to believe, but Tennessee back then didn't even have a College of Architecture in the state. So this was the beginning and I was in the second graduating class at UT, the College of Architecture. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience because it was a, in a wonderful old building right behind the stadium. And again, like Atlanta, Knoxville was busting loose with architecture. You know, there, were, there was these incredible buildings going up all over the campus. I went to school at Tennessee, and my experience was it was a heck of a lot of fun. But I knew architecture students, and we never saw them. What, what was your experience? Because everyone I know who went into architecture was, I mean, 20 hours a day of class or study. Well, if you had come down to Estabrook Hall, where the College of Architecture was, it's been torn down now, you would have found all of us, or most of us. But what I did different, I joined a fraternity. Which one? Uh, Delta Tau Delta was the name of it. The downtown daddy. Absolutely. Yeah, you, they were there when you were they there, were. probably. Okay. So, and we were in the new frat park, and it was a long way from Estabrook behind the stadium. But they would all criticize me. What the heck are you doing coming in at midnight when classes are over at five or six? Well, we had these design labs where they might be officially five hours long, but to meet the program, design the building, or whatever they gave you to do, we would spend nights and weekends down there. What helped me, rather than sleeping on my drafting table or spending all this time down there with my architectural buddies, I got out and I did do a little partying with a fraternity. That's part of what it's about. That's where you learned about the Bloody Marys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that and... Uh, socializing. Yeah. So it really helped me. And I would come back uh, after leaving for Saturday and going away from the College of Architecture, come back Monday fresh. They had been hanging out down there. They really hadn't gotten much more done than I had. And they were. it was just a wonderful way to escape before coming back with all your thoughts and faculties to design the, the building they gave you to do. That's a good point. You brought up another one, socializing something that's probably served you pretty well in your career. Were you a very social person before getting into the fraternity, or were you so focused on wanting to be an architect that once you got into that, that really introduced you to the need to make connections? Yeah, it's interesting. You've got a good perspective. I was somewhat introverted in school mm -hmm. because I was focused on, you know, architecture and all of a sudden you go away and you're away from home and your parents and your siblings the fraternity really allowed me to meet a lot of different people from different places in the world. And then it was a great experience as a result of being a communicative kind of environment. It helped me because I found out later that architecture is not just about designing buildings. It's about being able to sell yourself, being able to convince your 
your clients that you're there to serve them and your communication skills are very important in the design process. How long was the program at Tennessee? Five years? It's a five-year program. So you worked hard, you get out, you graduate with an architecture degree, and really your plans are thrown up in the air because you get drafted. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, during those days, the lottery came about because of the Vietnam War. And was this unexpected? Were you thinking, uh, oh, I might yeah. get drafted? Or No, no, I, I had no idea of that. I had taken ROTC in high school, and it wasn't mandatory at college, so I did not go through the program because I had to spend so much time with architecture. So hindsight, maybe I should have, because here I was with a Bachelor of Architecture, ready to set the world on fire. I had graduated in 1st of June, and I'm getting my draft notice because my lottery number was a 93, and they went to 140-something that year. Oh. So I'm on my way after graduating from college on a Trailways bus to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, to go through basic training as a grunt. And how long after you graduated was this? Was this immediately or months? Yeah, the lottery was that senior year, my fifth year, and I found out where my number was. All of a sudden, the numbers start going through. and You do the counting of the weeks of the months. The little ping pong balls that they picked your number out of. And then, so here I was, late spring, realizing that as soon as I got out of college, I was headed for basic training. So how do you deal with that? Because you... From a young age, you want to be an architect. You go through all this work, you get it. And then all of a sudden, Uncle Sam knocks on your door and says, we got other plans for you. Yeah, it was a change in lifestyle, a change in the aspirations I had. Because what happens after you get your degree, you still got to do three years of internship before you can sit to take the exam. Well, the military didn't offer any of that. So I fortunately got into the reserve program after basic training so that I could go to work for an architect, because you got to work for an architect at least three years in an internship-type capacity before you can take the exam. So I spent six years at 3397 uh, out on 23rd Street in the Army Reserves. What rank did you leave with? Uh, spec 5, which is, you know, like a sergeant. And from there, uh, I was working full-time with an architectural firm. So you finally get out and take me through the process of you've done your internship, you get to sit for your boards, or if I have that correctly. How did you get started in Chattanooga? Over the years, all summers, I worked for different firms because uh, that's what my father wanted me to do, make some money while I was out of school. So I worked with Hensley Schmidt here one year. I worked with Harry Gill one year. I worked in Knoxville. I worked in Nashville with uh, Earl Swenson and Associates. Uh, All these were college jobs. And after I graduated, I had worked with a fellow named Jim Franklin one summer. And after getting back from basic training, I had interviewed and I got a job with McCarty in Knoxville. And Jim says, well, I want you to come work for me again. And so it was tough. I had already accepted the job in Knoxville. McCarty's a big firm, done a lot of great architecture. But Jim was a Renaissance kind of architect, very design-oriented, and it just kind of felt right for me to do that. So I, before going to work, I turned in my notice at McCarty in Knoxville, <laughs> and I told Bob Holsapple, thank you, but I'm going to work for Jim Franklin in Chattanooga, and that uh, led to my next 
12 or 13 years in the architectural field before starting my own business. Well, and talk about your time with Jim Franklin and those years before you started your business, because one of the folks we talked to about being an entrepreneur said his time in corporate America was very important because it taught him the skills he needed to be an entrepreneur and go out on his own. What did you find working for someone else? Well, when I went to work with Jim, we were in the McClellan building and there were only seven draftsmen and architects and I was the intern. And Jim immediately has given me these assignments and these projects where I'm meeting these special people uh, like Ruth Holmberg and mayors and city leaders because he believed in young people. He also believed in taking risk. So it wasn't long before we were working on big projects and the firm eventually over the years I was with it grew from seven people to the largest firm at the time in Chattanooga, 40 people. Oh, wow. What was your first project for him? Um, you remember? I was, uh, it was Boynton Overlook, which is not even there now, but Ruth Holmberg had given money. And explain who Ruth Holmberg is. I know a lot of people know. but Yeah, the editor of the Chattanooga Times when we had two papers. Yeah, and she was part of the New York Times family in Adolph Ox. Ox. Yeah. Yep. So I meet with her, and I'm young and still not a registered architect, and we sit down and start talking about her vision for uh, putting the cannons and the tablets back up on Cameron Hill that had been stored after they shaved off 100 feet. So I came up with a design, built a model, and did the drawings of it and presented it uh, to Ms. Holmberg, and she loved it. And so she had the ability to finance it and generate some funds to build this. And we did that for her. That was my first individual project. So that was on the side of Cameron Hill, where obviously Blue Cross Blue Shield is today. Right. They had to demolish it. Unfortunately, I I look back at it, and tragically, that they had to take it down. But there's still a little park up there, but nothing like we had designed for Ms. Holmberg on Cameron Hill. One of the things you talked about a minute ago was when you started working with Jim Franklin, how you got to work and meet with a lot of prominent people in town. Talk about those connections and why that's so important to build in your career. The uh, individuals we worked with, uh, at the, I, I can remember two particular projects. One was when the hospital authority was started originally. We were in the running for being selected as the architect against several other architects locally and nationally. And so we put together a proposal and gave our presentation. And out of all of the architects that were being considered, Jim got a call from Dr. David McCauley one day, who was chairman of the board at that time, and said, Jim, you and your firm have been awarded the new contract for this multi-million dollar expansion. Is this Erlanger? Erlanger, to bring Erlanger out of the dark ages. It had really fallen into disrepair. And so at the time it was 80 million, which is equivalent to 300, 350 million now. And It's a big project. And I, I was the number two guy at Jim's office. A bunch of us were young. We had young lady architects. We had young black architects. We had just young people surrounding Jim Franklin, who kind of orchestrated all this, but delegated all of this to all of us folks that maybe weren't totally 
ready and qualified because I, I remember Jim coming into the office saying, well, Dr. McCauley just called and awarded us the project. What are we going to do now? We've never done a hospital. And so he says, Vance, you're going to be the project architect. I said, Jim, I've never done that. He says, well, neither have I, but we'll read some books and we'll do some study some of the different programs and we'll learn what to do. And we ended up building over six years, designing and building all of that original expansion. Y'all were a bit of the dog that caught the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that one project kind of put your name in the list of every time something came up. Right, right. You know, from the original Miller Park that we did and uh, leading up to the Hotel Trade Center. That was an interesting project where uh, Jim Hall, that we all know, uh, used to be Franklin's attorney. And so Franklin Haney was pitted against Tommy Lupton to build a new hotel trade center because all we had at the time was Memorial Auditorium and a few other venues that didn't accommodate exhibits or conventions and that kind of thing. And so it bounced from one end of town to the other as Dalton Roberts and Mayor Pat Rose were jockeying for position to put this. At one point in time, it was going to go across from the old Sheridan and the 401 building on the north side of town which is where County Executive Dalton Roberts wanted it. And he said, okay, we're going to hire the Franklin firm. And that would be when Jim come to me and says, you know, I got to go out of town. You got to give a presentation to the county commission. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just a pup. Yeah. And I'm going. How in old front, are you at this time? Uh, probably 30. And then the momentum moved to where it is today on the southern side of the CBD. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember going to a city council meeting because Jim was out of town again. Here's Mayor Pat Rose. Here's Tommy Lupton. Here's Franklin Haney. All of these really high-profile, important people to our city. And they're deciding who's going to do this. And so Franklin says, I'm going to do it. Well, it turns out, you know, the mayor looks over at Tommy Lupton and says, you want to do this? And Tommy didn't say anything back, so he says, okay, Franklin, <laughs> you and your team get to work and start doing the new Hotel Trade Center on Carter Street. And that's when they started the Carter Street Corporation and like the Erlanger Authority to build that complex down there that's there today. How important was it for you in your career to have that trust of Jim Franklin to be 30 years old and for lack of a better term, in rooms you're not supposed to be in. You look around and you go, oh, my God, I'm 30 years old, and I'm in here with Pat Rose, I'm in here with Tommy Lupton. And How important was that for you in growing your career and, and just understanding how things work? It was a lot like going into the cockpit of an airplane and getting into the left seat and the guy in the right seat who's put you there saying, okay, you're going to fly this off and – he says, I've got to get up and go get a cup of coffee. And so all of a sudden, your adrenaline starts flowing, and there's a lot of things you got to think about and a lot of things you have to learn in a hurry in order to put together a design for a project. So that was a unique thing about Jim Franklin. He was willing to give young people an opportunity to take a risk, make mistakes, learn from the mistakes, and as a result, there were a lot of young architects that ended up coming out of that firm and started in their own firm over the years. You know, they talk a lot in sports about a coaching tree. 
people who coached under a coach and they go, sounds like Jim Franklin was that kind of coach. He was exactly. And very talented. So you were with Jim Franklin, what, 12 years? And then how'd you decide to get out on your own? Because that's a big decision. Wow. Was it ever? I had a wife and two kids and not much in the bank. And so I ended up going to Jim and saying, you know, I, I, I really, I've been out there on the front line with you and for you and really wasn't asking for more money, but more recognition, maybe eventually my name on the shingle, you know. Uh, while Jim was certainly uh, a mentor of mine that I respect to this very day, he just wasn't willing to do that. And so I really started out with another architect. We ended up putting our performance together and getting our finances, and we were going to start our own business. Turned out his boss came to him and doubled his salary, put his name on the shingle. So he says, Vance, I can't do it. Well, I was dead set. I went ahead. I had to go back and get a line of credit. I remember talking to Duffy Frank, who you know him, oh, and a great Duffy. guy. Yeah. And back in those days, I said I needed X number of dollars to start my own company. One-man band. I was going from a number two guy of a 40-man operation to the number one guy of a one-man operation. I know that feeling. Absolutely. <laughs> you do. That's right. You've worked for the big guys before. And I went over to Bill Horton's house, and Duffy was there. And he says, well, Vance, what do you need? You know, other banks wanted a five-year plan, and et cetera. So I said, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in five years. And so— he looked at me. We talked a little bit. I didn't even really know him that well, but we knew each other. And he just reached out and he says, I'll get you what you want. Come by the bank Monday morning and we'll sign all the papers. Wow, that's And great. I was off and running. I went and started my own company. I think I had $700 in the bank. Like I said, a wife and two children. But I knew I had to do it because I had set a goal for myself that particularly in architecture, it's a noble profession, but you're not going to get rich off of it. You know, the richness comes from the design. Mm -hmm. I tell a lot of people, it's like birthing a child, which you and I don't know about because we're men, but the experience has just got to be overwhelming because in architecture, you're always designing something that's never been there before and that will be there for a long time. And I say, you know, to me, architecture is like birthing a child because you develop this thing, you design it, and it becomes reality. Just like with children, some are pretty and some are ugly. <laughs> Not mine. I've got two beautiful children. I just want to go on record right now. <laughs> Didn't happen in my family. <laughs> well, what is that feeling of designing a building? And here we are, maybe decades later after you designed it, you've retired, you've sold your business. What is that feeling of driving through town and saying, that's my building? Wow. You know, it is every day that I go somewhere and I'm going by something that I was a part of. I, you know, it, architecture is a team effort. And it's just like when my company, TWH Architects, was bought by an Oxford firm, MBI, because they liked the Chattanooga market and wanted to get in here. They were very similar to my firm, but they are a multidiscipline firm. So what's that mean? Well, I was primarily architecture and interior design. Their architecture, interior design, civil, structural, mechanical engineering, they even do signage. And so it was a dream come true for me because I was getting ready to 
figure out how to turn out the lights and, you know, slow down. Well, that gave me that ability. So the timing was good for you? Yeah, it was the perfect time, and everything worked out well. And I'm still doing part-time work today. But to your question about driving down the street, you know, I was involved in the TVA complex, and now they're talking about tearing it down. And our stadium, you know, Rich and I work together, Frank Burke, on the stadium that's up on Hawk Hill, and they're talking about it's going to be gone. And So conversely, how does that feel? You've got these buildings you drive by with great sense of pride, but you also you hear that, well, they're going to build a new baseball stadium, they're going to tear this down, or we worked hard on TVA, and it's such a landmark. Where'd it go? Right. Unfortunately, in America, most buildings are designed for 100 years or less. You know, you go to Europe. It's centuries. Yes. And so as a result, everything's expendable in the United States. So cities, everything you see today in 50 years may not be here at all. And, you know, one of my pride and joys was one of my smallest projects was the uh, Okoye Whitewater Center. Well, that's a story in itself. But And that was good for the Olympics. Uh, Correct. Yeah. But it's... uh, Wonderful. You take, for instance, the CSAS school on 3rd Street. I went there, a lot of wonderful people, um, went to City High School, and here I was years later. You have, that's kind of a different approach. R.H. Hunt did that building. He was a famous regional architect, did a lot of buildings in Chattanooga, federal building and uh, McClellan Building and several others. City and Hall also. City Hall and the courthouse. And he had done the school. So Lenhurst funded that concept over at CSAS years ago, which is still going on today, K through 12. And we were selected to take it from an abandoned building that they were talking about tearing down and turning it into a new concept for education in a 100-year-old school that today still exists. It's a challenge within itself. Yeah. You should have a conversation with County Mayor Womp. We had him on the podcast, and he spoke of his family's architectural background and how he relaxes is by drafting and drawing and doing architecture and really was able to, to talk about the classic buildings in Chattanooga. I know one of the classic buildings you helped renovate was City Hall. Can you talk a little bit about that and not just the renovation of the building, but also the importance of the connections you made over the years that gave you that opportunity? That goes back to Bob Corker. We had worked together when he was in construction, and then he went into development. We did the market court for him down on Market Street that used to be the old Sears building. So when he became mayor, he called me up one day and says, Vince, we've got to do something with this building. It had been renovated and re-renovated over almost 100 years. Again, it's an R.H. Hunt building, got good bones. Uh, But they dropped ceilings, they'd changed lighting, and everything about it was bad. So he says, we got to do this quick, because Bob liked to do everything quick. So we go down and meet with him and others, and he hands us off to his team, and we're blowing and going. And here we are, just so excited. This is such an incredible building, and we're able to renovate it and remodel it. And he calls me about two months later and says, Vance, send me a bill. We're not going to be able to do this. I've got this project, the River Renaissance Program, and I've got to make it work, and I don't have time to do both. 
So we put it up on the shelf, but he calls me up about six months before the end of the term, and he's already helped raise all this money for the riverfront, and it's finished. He says, Vance, you know about that project? He says, you know, get those drawings off the shelf and finish them up because if we don't get this building redone while I'm here, it'll never get redone. So we were off and running in order to get the drawings and the design finished, get it bid, and a contractor so he could make sure that that building became what it is today, which is a show place. Oh, it is. I was in there the other day. It's a gorgeous, classic city hall. You walk in and you, you know you're in city hall. Yeah, it was a dream come true for us. And, of course, you know, as soon as we got under construction, Ron Littlefield becomes mayor, and Ron calls me up and says, well, Vance, he said, we love the design, but we got to move the mayor's office from the second floor to the third floor. So it was a continuing process, but a wonderful experience to work for two wonderful mayors of our city. Yeah, and through the whole time, again, you've been working with people and making these connections that when they thought of what they needed done, they thought of you. Yeah, it's uh, another building that's very special to me is one that I owned with John Germ, uh, University Tower. And that's after I started my own business. And John, who is an engineer and we worked together on a lot of projects, he calls me up one day and he said, Vance, he said, I've assembled this property on 3rd Street. I want to do an office building, six-story office building. I said, well, that's great, John, because I'm thinking, okay, maybe he wants me to do the architecture. He says, well, I need you to be an owner. I said, well, uh, John, I, that's great, but I, my net worth, I don't think it's going to help you a lot. He said, Vance, that's okay. I need two things from you. One, I need you to design it for free. And two, you'll have to sign the mortgage with me and Dan Johnson. Said, wow, how does he make things like this work? So we're off and running. But before we did, I had one thing to tell John. I said, I'm willing to do this, put my whole net worth on the line because it's not much, and go into this building with you because uh, he said, you got to take a whole floor as well. For your firm? Yeah. And so we were in the old building up on Bluff View. So we were expanding. We needed the room. But I said, if I'm going to do the architecture for free, you're going to do the engineering for free. <laughs> and that's what we did. And we uh, designed and developed that building. And after, you know, six-story office building, it was the time when we, we were working on market court for Bob Corker as the architect. And so Bob and I had to have a prayer meeting because we were both going after tenants. Yeah. And Sometimes they might be the same tenant because at that time, not that much was going on in Chattanooga. That was what, the uh, early 90s? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s, yeah. Because you've really seen the renaissance of this town. Indeed. We both know, you know, there was a time when you could go downtown and easy to find a parking place and not a whole lot of reasons to go downtown. In your opinion, what was the seminal event project that really helped Chattanooga turn the corner? Probably the Hotel Trade Center was what began to put Chattanooga on the map and facilitate the influx of people wanting to come here. Because it could attract bigger crowds and bigger conventions and people from outside. And downtown. Because 
people know of Chattanooga and have known of Chattanooga because they drive through it and buy it. Right. They never see the city. So I think that was one of the first most important Got them to stop to and stay and yeah. experience. Right. And from there, you know, the the city began to blossom and south side, north shore, just ripple effect from all of that. Now, I've got a couple more questions before we run out of time, but I want to get to how I got to know you. I had the pleasure of when I moved over from Fox 61 to WTVC News Channel 9 in 2004 to move into the Taj Mahal, which your firm designed. Correct. I can tell you, having worked in a number of broadcast facilities and knowing the broadcast industry, what we had at News Channel 9 was the envy of my peers because most broadcast facilities are retrofitted car dealerships or something like that. And when we would have corporate meetings and other general managers would walk in, and I called it the Taj Mahal only because they called it the Taj Mahal. <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you for that compliment. It was a fun project, neat sight, and we were able to put the Taj together. And, <laughs> and, and so it would have a presence when you drive by the city. Because before that, nobody even knew where the TV station was. But especially working for you that worked so hard to do those few upgrades. But at the time, corporate says, you know, it's like Jerry says, don't mess this up, Vance, because I'm getting ready to retire and I want my retirement. If you mess it up, <laughs> I may not get it. Yeah, a lot of times corporate doesn't see the same need no. that you see on the ground here. You've had a fascinating career, Vance. I want to ask you one more question and think about this a second. You, as I said earlier, knew right away you wanted to be an architect. But you've learned a lot of things along the way. So think back to when you were 25 years old. What would you tell yourself is important for a happy life? Thinking back, I would say don't sweat the small stuff. I read a book or memoir of uh, Matthew uh, McGonaghy, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a funny guy. All right, all right, all right. right. (laughs) And and he's got that. It's called Green Light. In his memoir, it talks about, you know, all yellow and red lights eventually turn green. And so that meant a lot to me. He had little post-it notes and things in there, but how his life transformed as he went through his ups and downs. But sweating the small stuff, which you do as a young person, a young architect, you know, I go away from a presentation. Oh, there's a point I forgot to make. Oh, if I'd only made that point. You don't get the big design project. One of your competitors get it. And you just go, after you find out, you just kick yourself over and over. But I found out in life, wait it out, and there will be a reason, some subliminal reason that you're better off that you didn't get that job or maybe you didn't make that particular comment. And life's good. It's a green light. Yeah. That is important because we spend so much time worrying about things that really never happen anyway. And the red lights always turn green. They always turn green. Vance, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.